Hello, everybody, and welcome into Corner Booth Sports. My name's John Zaglul of WCKG and Sports Talk Chicago. With me, my man always, Daniel Karp of the University of Chicago. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing well, John. You know, I miss this. I miss talking to you the past few weeks. <laughs> Since then, a lot has happened in the world of sports. We have a lot of things to dive into today. So I'm really excited. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and likewise on that sentiment. It's been a while, unfortunately, a bit of a hiatus, but we are back. We're better than ever. And as you said, there is a lot to get to today. We're going to start, as always, with winners and losers of the week. Daniel, who's your winner? My winner this week is none other than the San Diego Padres. Okay. They are 18 and 13, so they're only five games above 500 and four games back from the Dodgers. But the reason why they are winners this week for me is because Fernando Tatis is the best player in baseball at the moment. With Tatis as the best player in baseball, not only do they have a chance to make a playoff run this year, but this increases their window to make playoff runs into the future for until his arbitration is up. That gives them a five-year window, and that's huge for a team like the San Diego, San Diego Padres, and that is why this week they are my winner. Sox fans will hate you for saying that, but it is 100% true. And, you know, I remember, you remember this too, when the Padres went out and signed Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer to these gigantic contracts and everyone criticized them, now they're looking pretty smart. You team those guys up with Tatis, and, yeah, you do have a window, five- or six-year window. That's a good point. And, yeah, I, I like that choice. As for me, my winner is the Chicago White Sox. They beat the Cubs two out of three games in the Crosstown Classic. Jose Abreu, in my opinion, made a great MVP case this past weekend with the home run barrage that he unleashed on Cubs pitching. And then the other night, Lucas Giolito throws the first no-hitter of the 2020 season. It's a short season at 60 games. So in my opinion, if you throw one of them, it's an accomplishment in and of itself because there's just less volume. It's a numbers game. So to throw one of those, to beat up the Cubs this weekend, to be in a playoff position right now, I mean, they are thriving on every level as an, as an organization, and I'm very excited to see what's to come for them. But they are my winner this week. Yeah, I mean, they looked really good, and it definitely the, the no-hitter this week in their, uh, their success is easing the burden of Tatis' uh, play. But, I mean, you got to <laughs> give the White Sox credit. They've got all these young guys coming up. They're playing great ball. I know Luis Robert, his batting average has slowly dwindled down. But, yeah, yeah the White Sox are playing really well, and uh, they're going to be good for years to come, certainly. I agree. Um, as for losers now, this is the tougher part of the week. I have two losers, okay? These are a bit out there. You might think, where the hell did you get this from? First of all, Hall of Fame fans, baseball Hall of Fame fans. This was a late-night news dump that no one talked about or saw. I came upon it a couple of days ago. The committees, the Golden Era Committee, the committees that vote in regards to the Veterans Committee and those who get in, have been postponed indefinitely until at least 2021, which I thought was very interesting and wasn't really talked about or said or even discussed on any major show or anywhere. I found this article, one article written about it on ESPN four days ago, came out at seven o'clock at night central. So no one cares, I understand, but that's important to me. And secondly, anybody who drafts Gardner Minshew in the first round of the fantasy football draft you are also a loser. Minshew recently came out and said that he'd be partnering with Bud Light. And for anybody who drafts Minshew in round one of their fantasy football draft, 
they'll be getting free Bud Light, some sort of voucher. They'll be getting a coupon, whatever it might be. Bud Light is nice to get, yes, for free, but you are effectively a loser, and your team will lose if you draft Gardner Minshew in round one. So there are two losers, baseball Hall of Fame fans and anybody who decides to draft Gardner Minshew in round one. What about you? Well, well before I get to my loser, I got to respond to both <laughs> of yours. I mean, the Hall of Fame thing, I, I am a Hall of Fame fan. I don't care. I, I saw this news, unfortunately, and you might be disappointed in me. But I think that this is a waste of time to talk about. They get, it gets pushed back a year. I don't think anyone was, was waiting on them to make any decisions anyway. So I don't think it's relevant whatsoever. I, I think it's as relevant as the ESPN article that said Lucas Giulio had thrown three no-hitters this year already. One in, <laughs> one in one this past weekend and two in MLB The Show. <laughs> okay, like, these are joke articles. They're a waste of time. There's nothing to talk about. As for Garner Minshew, I think that that is also I, – I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, if people are so desperate – to draft him in the first round for a uh, for beer, they shouldn't be playing fantasy football to begin with. Correct. Now moving on to my loser this week, huh. I have the Los Angeles Angels. They have one of the okay. worst records in baseball, and this is after they went out and they signed Rendon. They got Otani back from Tommy John surgery, and they look awful. Their team war is negative. 2.4. I'm sorry, it's positive 2.4. If you take away their two best players, Rendon and Fletcher, you leave in Mike Trout, it's negative 1.6. Wow. That is abysmal. The entire team. And Trout is not even playing that well this season if you look at his war. His batting average has dipped to 255, and his defensive metrics are actually as bad as they've ever been. He has a negative half war. In just, what, half a season, 30 games? So, you know, the Angels, they're in trouble. They're, they're spending a lot of money, and they are seeing no results. In fact, even worse results since they've, than, since they've spent money. I had said from the beginning that as great as the Rendon signing was, they don't have pitching. They never addressed, and, and they still never addressed that issue. That's been an issue for them for 10 years, longer. They've always had one or two good guys, and everybody else, is really nothing. I mean, think about the Jared Weaver era and Irvin Santana. Who was behind them? We don't know. And today, you've got guys who were supposed to be great, Heaney, um, uh, Harvey. Remember, Matt Harvey was – I mean, there were so many people who were thrown into the mix. None of them panned out. And even from a batting standpoint, Rendon, other guys who were signed to big contracts aren't even hitting well. I believe Fletcher's the only one hitting about 300. I looked at their lineup the other day. The whole team is a dumpster fire. Now, I will say, I still don't think that fully reflects on Joe Madden. I think part of that is just poor performance. And again, not. Well, but you like Joe Madden. You love Joe Madden. I do love Joe Madden. So you could say I'm biased, but when you don't have a five man starting, when you don't have a three man starting rotation in his case, it's very hard to expect him to go out there and even play 500 baseball. But this is the worst they've ever been, and arguably with a better team than they've ever had with Trout, with all the surrounding pieces. And by the way, Rendon is actually making, putting up an MVP case if you look at his numbers. Rendon is not slacking off. He's having a very nice season so far. This team is as bad as they've ever been. And yeah, they have no starting pitching outside of Dylan Bundy. 
but they're going nowhere. They're going down. I mean, they I, are. I, I, yeah. I, and I think I think it does reflect on Joe Madden a little bit. It does a little bit, but again, I I am not gonna, I'm never going to blame him because I'm biased. But even if you go unbiased and just think about it right down the line, how is anybody, manager, general manager, executive, supposed to succeed when you have no pitching? Your hitting could be lights out. You're not going to win a 21 to 20 game every single night. Some nights hitting's going to be off. Some nights when you're losing six nothing. Then you have a problem where hitters are pressing, right? They're pressing at the plate because they're like, well, we're down 6 nothing. We have to score a lot of runs. When that happens, then everybody does bad. That could also be an issue. So part of it is a mentality thing. Part of it is just no pitching. And, yes, a small part could be blamed on Joe Madden. But I'm convinced this is all a player problem. This is a personnel problem similar to what happened here in Chicago. That's pretty fair, but, I mean – you ask the question, you pose the question about who is set up to succeed if they have no pitching. The Rays. The Rays have con- at times had no pitching. Right now they have a lot of pitchers injured, and they are finding ways to win games with their relievers. They're mixing and matching and using different matchups all the time. Kevin Cash is doing what Joe Mann should be doing, which is mixing and matching his way towards wins. As good as Joe Mann has been in the past as a manager, he is not getting them wins. This does reflect on Joe Madden. Their lack of success is a result of Joe Madden's failures. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't feel you there, Daniel. I feel like this is – you can't win when you have virtually no pieces. In, in the starting rotation, yes, they have offensive pieces. Yes, Rendon's doing well. Hey, you know what? No one expected Trout to do this bad. No one expected Otani to not throw again on the mound. They say, again, we're talking about Shohei Otani not pitching. Remember when he won Rookie of the Year and they gave him the award for pitching 50 innings? That's the most he's ever, he's ever pitched in a season. And if it were up to me, based on what we're seeing with this trend, that's probably the most he'll ever pitch in a single season. That was a huge mistake. You know what? Anybody in the MLB can hit 280, 290, and hit 20 home runs. That was a huge mistake for Los Angeles. There are a lot of things that were expected from them, player performance-wise, that did not work out. That's 100% a fact. So I'm going to say that that's a huge contributor. And yes, Joe Madden, to an extent, maybe he should play certain guys more. Maybe he should mix things around. Yes, it's the manager's job. But let's look up to the GM in the front office and talk to them about why they gave Madden virtually nothing again this year. They tout a big signing with Anthony Rendon. They do nothing about their rotation. They signed Dylan Bundy to a minor league deal. Somehow he works out. That is completely luck. So before we go after Madden like people did here in Chicago last year, let's just consider the whole situation. That's where I stand on. Well, it's not for lack of trying. They did go out and first try to sign Garrett Cole. They tried to spend money on pitching. When they couldn't and they had leftover money, that is when they went after Rendon. Talking about Otani, though, I don't know if he'll ever throw a pitch again in the big league. Thank you. His arm is volatile. He threw 50 innings, like you said, his first year, and they gave him the rookie of the year. I thought it was a joke, and Duhar should have had that yep. award. Batting Thank 300 you. with 30 bombs and almost leading the league in doubles or something like that. And he played a full season. But Otani, he's just not – he's not hes not the hype that everyone, everyone builds him up to be. He's not reliable. And he's not the piece that – he's not the dynamic duo with Trout 
that the Angels thought that he would be going into this season. All of that is correct. And unfortunately, that's where the Angels stand today. I'm hopeful that maybe next year with a full season and a full spring training and, you know, guys get more time to interact with each other, it'll be different. Joe Madden's not a bad manager. This won't last. He won't stand for this if this happened next year. So I think they need, you know what, get through this season as ugly as it may get. Just get through it. Wait till next year. Have a full season under your belt and then get to work. I think that's the solution. Well, we'll have to see. Moving on, we are halfway through the baseball season. There are some teams that are doing well, other teams like the Angels that are not doing well. <laughs> and I just want to see what you, where you were at with, uh, with your awards and who you think is on pace to win possible Cy Youngs, possible MVPs. What do you see coming, who do you see winning awards from the AL? So in the AL right now for the Cy Young, I have Shane Bieber or Lance Lynn for yeah. the Cy Young Award. Now, Lance Lynn, I am pleasantly surprised with. He did well last year, but his ERA was a bit high. And for those who don't know about Lance Lynn, he actually did well against Cubs hitting for a number of years with St. Louis. Always a reliable guy. Always went 190, 200 innings. But the one thing that always held him back was strikeouts. He was always a pitch-to-contact pitcher, which is why nobody really cared about his success. Now, all of a sudden, 45 innings, 50 strikeouts with Texas. ERA under two. Above 500 record. Now there's all of a sudden a lot of talk about Lynn. So I think he's up there. And Bieber is Bieber. He has really risen up these past couple of years. This year leads the AL and wins, if you like that stat. But also is right up there in ERA. All around dominant season. And I think it's going to be those two um, fending for that award late in the season. As for the MVP, this may be Chicago bias, but I sincerely believe this. Jose Abreu has a legitimate case to be made right now for the MVP award. Hitting 320, um, up there in home runs, OPS, he's top five in baseball. That's something we've never seen out of Jose Abreu. And with this White Sox team riding the wave is arguably the most popular team in baseball at this point, I would not be surprised if he gets up there and starts getting serious consideration. I would also say Luke Voigt is up there, leads all of baseball in OPS, hitting above 300, 10 home runs and 80 at-bats. That's going to be his issue, how many games will he play. And then Brandon Lau from the Rays, a guy who, because he's in Tampa, no one talks about him. Hitting 296, another OPS above 1,000, plays excellent defense, is a great team player, leads that team in every offensive category. Another guy who no one's talking about, but I feel could really make a serious case down the stretch. Yeah, you know, I don't think that Jose Abreu, after one big week, I mean, I know he's had a good season, is really up there. I think that is some Chicago bias, but I'm going to talk about the Yankee <laughs> bias for a second. Before Aaron Judge got hurt, he was looking like an easy MVP. Yep. Then he got hurt. I don't think he was actually hurt. I think the Yankees were actually using him, putting him on the DL to allow Clint Frazier some time to play to then use him as a trade piece to sell off now that he's given himself more value. He's at him. He's, uh... But Luke Voigt has, like you said, sneakily gotten up to 11 home runs, batting 300 on a playoff yep. team. I don't think that he or Brayu or Judge, for that matter, is going to win the MVP. I think it's Anthony Rendon. I know you say he's on a terrible team, but he's batting well above 300. He's hitting very well. 
and he's got a nice war. And I think that if the Angels can play solid from here on out and he plays better, and I think that he will. He's been looking even better the more I watch. I think he's got a very nice shot at winning the MVP. I do think it's more of a toss-up, though, than the NL. I think that the AL has a lot of different contenders with a lot of players that have not played full seasons. So I think it should be interesting to see. With the pitchers, I agree with you. I think Shane Bieber is a clear front runner. I think that he's going to run away with it. He's just been too good, I think, to, to – there's no signs of him slowing down at all. As for the NL, I think that it's got to be Max Freed. I think he's 5-0 and now with a sub-2 ERA. I think that right behind him, Trevor Bowers, probably a good second choice. I thought Bauer had a chance to win the past few seasons before he kind of slowed down. I mean, I think his stuff is unbelievable, and he's really showing off this year. Uh, as for my MVP in the NL, I think Mookie Betts is a clear choice. I know you don't like him anymore, <laughs> but if I pull up his stats really fast, let me see where he's at. Mookie Betts has two war. He's batting nearly 300 with 11 home runs. I mean, what's not to like about him? You've got – it's probably either going to be him or Tatis coming out of the NL, and those are my picks. I would say don't forget about Bryce Harper for that and NL MVP vote. Right now on my sheet here, I'm thinking Tatis or Harper. The reason I say Harper, he's actually second in all of baseball in OPS. Believe it or not, he's having an MVPS season. The year he won, you remember, he hit above 330. OPS above 1,000. That was his best year ever. And that allowed people to overrate him for years to come. But now he's actually replicating those numbers in a sense. And as we know, Tatis is taking this league by storm, hitting above 320, 10 home runs, OPS above 1,000. I think those two are going to make a serious run for the NL MVP award. And then as for the um, NL Cy Young, I like Freed. I like Bauer, but let's talk about Hugh Darvish. Hugh Darvish is 5-1. and one. Hugh Darvish leads the NL and wins, has an ERA sub-2, and strikes out batters, and he always has struck out batters at a very high clip. If he can keep that success going for a Cubs team that, whether you like it or not, is probably going to make the playoffs, that could make a difference. And he's the only Cubs pitcher who succeeded at that level. We've seen flashes from everybody. We've seen flashes from Hendricks, Chatwood, Lester. But none of them have gone on to do what Darvish has done. Sub-2 ERA, 5-1 and one record, strikes out everyone he sees, he is up there. No matter what anybody says, in my opinion, he has to be up there as a top three, top four candidate. I think that you're spot with Darvish. My concern, and maybe having a 60-game season is to his benefit, he's, in, he's been injury-prone in the past, yep. and I have my concern. So if he gets it through 60 games and he has the same stats, he could easily run away with it. But I want to see him finish the season first before I decide I'm going to give you <laughs> Darvish any sort of award. Uh, and Harper, you know, you make a good point about Harper winning the MVP. My concern with him is the same concern I have with Rendon, which is that their teams are just not doing well enough. Right. Uh, but I, I, as, as of right now, I just don't think, I just don't think Harper's going to do it just, just for that reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he is, he is close to replicating what he did in 2015. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Quick note, the Phillies are only a half game out of a playoff spot. Remember with the expanded postseason. So, I mean, if they just get in, 
no matter what their record is, and depending on what they do in the postseason, that could also factor in. It'd be different, of course, if we're talking about traditional baseball, but apparently those rules have been thrown out the window months ago. So if we're talking about what's going on in this era at this moment, the Phillies are a half game out. They're playing sub-500 baseball, and they're a half game out. If they get in, I say, why not? We've already thrown everything else away. Why not keep it going and acknowledge that, hey, he is on a playoff team no matter what their record is. So that could also be an argument made come uh, voting time. Let me ask you a quick question. The mm-hmm. Orioles, I believe, are one game out of a playoff spot, and the Marlins are right now in the playoff picture. Right. Do either of them, both of them, both of them or none of them get in? Because at the beginning of the season, everyone had them before COVID started. Everyone had them. 29 and 30 on all the charts. Everyone said their power rankings, these teams are bad. But in a one-month sample size, two-month sample size, they could make it. The Marlins will, without a doubt, only because their division has been historically bad. I mean, the Phillies are 500. The Mets are 500. The defending champion Nationals are 11 and 17 at the time of this taping. When you face those teams consistently, you're going to win baseball games. And the Marlins have a ragtag group. They're playing like they have nothing to lose, which is true. No one expects them to be anywhere near the postseason, let alone getting in. So I think they will get in. As for the Orioles, no, because they still have to face a hefty amount of Rays and Yankees baseball. You're not going to be able to overcome that. I, I don't care what you say. It's not going to happen. I wish them well. And they've beaten up on the Red Sox and, of course, the bottom feeders of the division. but. Rays and Yankees are atop of them. Blue Jays are atop of them. And they just made a trade today for more pitching. They got Taiwan Walker. So those three teams, I think, are going to perpetually stay above them. That being said, this is a success for the Orioles. No matter what happens, if they play 500 baseball, this should be a wild success for this team. Yeah, I mean, and you can only imagine how much better they would be if they had Trey Mancini. I mean, hopefully he he recovers, but... That team could have been a playoff team with, with Mancini uh, this season. Moving on from, from my obsession with the, the bottom feeders of the league. <laughs> uh, this past week, and I know it's late, Fernando Tatis made headlines when he swung on a 3-0 pitch in a blowout over the Rangers, causing lots of controversy throughout the league. His own manager did not defend him, and yet many players on Twitter did. What are your thoughts on Tatis and the unwritten rule in baseball of not swing 3-0 when you're up by so much? All right. It's time for everybody to come to Zaglula University. Everybody sit down. Make sure you listen up here. Okay. This is utterly abhorrent. This is abhorrent. This has nothing to do with the game of baseball. I said on my show, the story should be Fernando Tatis Jr., makes a stronger MVP case. That's what the story should have been with the Grand Slam. He added to his RBI total. He hit more home runs. His OPS went up. Batting average went up. Led his team to another big win. That should have been the story. But instead, we've got the same people crying about walking the bases loaded, then giving up a home run and wondering what the heck happened. Face consequences for your actions. That's a life lesson, not a baseball lesson. And you're taught, you know this, Daniel, as a kid, walks and errors will kill you in baseball. 
Your pitchers come in out of the bullpen, they walk two guys, then they're shocked when a double happens and both guys come in to, to score. Why is that shocking? Every action has a reaction. If you walk the bases loaded, if your pitcher can't throw a strike, then he's down 3-0 and throws a fastball, a meatball right down the middle. What do you expect to happen? And why take it? Why, why do we need to take the pitch? Players either want to help their team win in that situation, or they're egotistical. They want to help their stats, which is true. Either way, I don't care, right? And, and we've seen so far, especially this year, we've seen teams come back from seven-run deficits. The Cubs have done it many a time over the years, come back. They were down 9-1. to one. I remember this game from 2008, down 9-1 to one to the Rockies at Wrigley. They come back in the seventh, take the 10-9 take the lead. You need as many runs as possible to shut down the other team entirely. And the Rangers are mad because they were losing already. They had a horrible attitude. They put in some guy who walks the bases loaded. You know what? Sorry. I shouldn't – Tatis should not have to apologize for doing his job at the plate. There's nothing wrong with hitting a grand slam, no matter what the case. The broadcasters for the Padres were happy. Everybody rejoiced, but the team that gave it up was mad. Yeah, rightfully so. You know what? Play better. Play better baseball. Then we could talk about if you're happy or unhappy or if it's an unwritten rule or not. Play better baseball, and there won't be an issue. Yeah, I mean, there is a reason why the Rangers received so much backlash on Twitter. Because this makes no sense. When I was younger, my team, I was playing on a travel team. Mm -hmm. We were up by six runs in the last inning. I was on third base. A pass ball comes. I score. I get chewed out by my coach for running up the score. In the next inning, we get five runs. We win by one. There's no time that a player should feel as though their bat should be taken out of their hands when you should, your only goal is to score runs and win. You get paid to score runs and win. When Josh Donaldson goes on MLB Network and says they pay you to hit bombs, he is right. These people are trying to earn a living, and the way to earn a living is to hit the ball and win. Yes, you say, okay, let, like, you just, just give them a fastball down the middle. Maybe don't swim. <laughs> that, that, that's old baseball, though. That's right. old baseball. That's not new baseball. And what I'm the most furiated by is the fact that even, the Rangers could be pissed about whatever they want. The fact that the manager of the Padres did not back up his own player, his own superstar, who is carrying him, saving his job by playing well, he's not defending him at all. In fact, he is saying that he apologizes on his behalf. This is terrible managing, terrible general managing. And I think that at the end of the season, or even moving forward, if it comes down to Tatis versus a manager at any point, you fire the manager right away. Because Tatis is doing something for your team, and the managers just bring down the morale of the team. There is no reason why Tatis should not be swinging 3-0 if he wants to. And it wasn't like it was a, a, a bad pitch down the pipe. He hit the outside corner. Tatis flicked the ball to right field. It was a great piece of hitting. It was great for baseball because it boosts ratings. It's great for everyone besides the Rangers. <laughs> and there's no reason why this should even be a story. But it is, so we're talking about it. That's such a good point about Tingler. You know, he's a rookie manager. You would think that you already have no support, right? If you're a rookie manager, you have to assume no one supports you. I have to earn my players' respect. I have to earn management support. 
And instead, he does the complete opposite. He sets the precedent for future players, if they have an issue, whatever it might be, whether it be baseball or non-baseball related, to have no trust in him, to support them. And like you said correctly, when it comes down to it, if I'm picking between Tatis Jr., who's turned into a generational superstar, or Jace Tingler, who's a rookie manager who's proved nothing, we all know who you're going to pick. I would not even think about it twice. So it's ridiculous that even his own manager sides with the other team, not with him. And I think that actually made the story prominent. Ten had times Tingler, worse. Had Tingler just said, you know what, whatever, it's a home run, we'll move past it, fine. The fact that he actually goes out of his way to apologize on behalf of the team at Tatis goes to show you that he does not support his team, does not support his players, and made it a huge story. The fact that the opposing team is mad at you, you support the opposing team for something good your player did. And in any other situation, you'd be rewarded for it. That's unbelievable. But then again, that's the 2020 MLB season. I mean, you can't blame players for the situation that they are put in. Tatis should be able to swing the bat. Last year, the Yankees played the Orioles a lot. Glaber Torres almost won the MVP last year. I think he finished top 10. He had 38 bombs, 13 home runs against the Orioles last year. Was he supposed to not swing the bat when they were throwing him meatballs 2-0, 3-1, 3-0? No, he's doing his job. And like I said, like you agreed with, there is no reason for Tingler to ever apologize for Tati swinging the bat. It makes absolutely no sense. That's a great point, too, about Torres. You know, what would have happened if he held back? on 10 of those home runs, right? His stats would be worse, wouldn't have any consideration. Again, egotistically, but truthfully, that could also hurt your numbers. What if it's a neck-and-neck MVP race at the end of the year and Tatis has 10 less RBIs and five less home runs? We all know who's going to get the award, the guy next to Tatis who has more and better numbers. So that also plays a role into it. So if I'm a hitter, I'm always incentivized to do whatever I can to improve my numbers and help my team win. So by saying that that's essentially wrong in this situation is just, it goes against everything that baseball stands for. It goes against everything that the team sport aspect of it stands for. And it goes against you yourself as somebody vying to be the best in the game, to win an award, an MVP, whatever it might be. So all of that, when you encapsulate all of that and bring it in, it's a bit shocking. It's very shocking that this is a story and that we have to sit here and talk about it. And for the MLB, who's trying to compete with NBA and the NFL to try to minimize the things that people actually like seeing, home runs, bombs, exciting players like Tatis, to try to downplay them and say they shouldn't be doing the things that make them money is absurd. I mean, baseball, at the end of the day, sports in general, is entertainment. It's a business. It's all about the money. I always say this. It's all about the money. And Tatis is making baseball money. And you want to tell him to not swing 3-0? I don't – even there are players – I think it was Carlton Fisk on Twitter who was writing – or maybe it might have been Johnny Bench. I forgot who it was. But old legends writing about how Tatis should have swung 3-0. So even back when the the unwritten rules – were more 
of uh, uh, people <laughs> believe them more and use them more, the player still did not agree with them. So it may, it, it just, it reaffirms the fact that Tatis should have obviously is in the right to swing 3-0, to swing whenever he wants to, to pad his stats, to help his team win, and to make baseball more money. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, and you say this to me all the time when I get worked up about stuff, but you're right. Baseball and every sport, unfortunately and fortunately, is a business first. So if you're making money for this sport, there shouldn't even be a question as to what you're doing or why you're doing it. If you're bringing in money, that's going to trump everything. And I would argue he's been the biggest money maker in the 2020 season, more than your traditional guys, Harper, Trout, uh, Kershaw, whomever it might be, Betts. He's made the most money for this league, and he's made the most money for the San Diego market. TV ratings are up. There's more interest from that market in their own team. All of that factors in, too. So, yeah, we, we have to think about that and just realize, again, this is a game. Let's play it the right way. And let's not disincentivize somebody for doing their job at the play. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, people aren't tuning into the game to see Tatis walk on four pitches. No. In the, in the, it, this is not also – this is not like in the NFL when you need the ball in the fourth quarter. This is different because the game doesn't have a clock. You should always be right. trying to put it as much as you possibly can. Because there's no clock for the other team, so why should there be a clock for you? <laughs> I, I, I don't understand why this was a story. I think that the Rangers were in the wrong. I think that the manager, Tingler, was in the wrong. And I think that Tati should keep swinging the bat. Wholeheartedly agree. Yep, great point. And, I mean, I addressed this on my show. Now we've addressed it here in a good fashion. And it all just makes sense. You know, again, just common sense, people. Why would you disincentivize somebody from doing their job, right? Do you go to work? Does anybody uh, watching go to work and think to themselves, uh, you know what, I probably shouldn't be as productive today because my boss is going to get mad at me. Well, that's what happened. That's what happened here in baseball. It's, I mean, it's mind-boggling. It, it blows my mind to think that that situation would transfer. It's like, it's like going to work and thinking, you know what, I can't be as productive today. My boss is going to get mad. What? No way. That's actually that's – a, that's a great way to put it. I have not even thought about it like that. And I think that's, that's one of the more compelling uh, examples that I, that I can think of. I mean, it, yeah, this, this will hopefully go away, and hopefully everyone will just realize that Tatis was totally in the right. I think that people have already come to that conclusion. We have not seen Tingler go on record and saying that he was wrong for apologizing. I, I don't think we ever will. No. But I think that everyone knows Tatis was doing the right thing and playing the game the way it should be played. Well, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Remember, you can listen to us anytime, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Anchor, and the other platforms that it goes on. Feel free to rate us as well. Give us a five-star review um, and a rating. As for uh, the rest of this, though, we'll be back next week. Brand new episode. Lots still to talk about and dissect. Uh, Daniel, thanks for joining me again. Great show. As always, really appreciate the time. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure.